If you have kids who are learning remotely in front of a computer screen and not loving it, imagine if children had to get their school lessons at home over the radio. That actually happened in Chicago back in 1937, 83 years before the current pandemic caused kids to once again find ways to learn outside of the traditional classroom. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. I try to read numerous news sources every day, and yet somehow this story got past me. Last year, as children around the country were getting ready for school lessons at home and remote learning due to the pandemic, various news outlets reported on Chicago radio schools in 1937. What? Chicago in the late 1930s had roughly 3.3 million people, compared to the roughly 2.7 million people today. That was, of course, before white flight and the development of the suburbs in all directions. Well, not east, that's the lake. Poliomyelitis, also known as infantile paralysis or just polio, was a fairly common infection that until the late 1800s didn't often cause serious illness. Until then, most people were exposed at a young age to the virus through polluted drinking water and gradually built up an immunity to the disease. Of course, as drinking water became cleaner and sewage treatment became more efficient, less people were exposed to the disease. In one of those odd occurrences, without that exposure to tainted drinking water and the buildup of immunity, an outbreak was only a matter of time. And indeed, in 1894, the first large-scale polio outbreaks hit the U.S. Polio often first presents with flu-like symptoms, with a headache and a spike in temperature. Those who are infected may spread the disease for up to six weeks, even if no symptoms are present. As it goes to work on the sufferer's central nervous system, polio can cause paralysis and resulting severe muscle atrophy. Many polio survivors described waking from a sleep unable to move, trapped in their own bodies. During severe outbreaks, theaters, swimming pools, and many other places where large groups would congregate were made off-limits because of those most often affected. Poliomyelitis earned the nickname Baby Plague. One form of treatment was something called an iron lung, which encased the polio sufferer's body from the neck down in a large steel tube. The iron lung then created a vacuum that drew the lungs up and down, helping those lacking the muscle power to simply breathe. In June of 1937, it was reported a 26-year-old Chicago man named Frederick Snight Jr. was on the last leg of a 12,000-mile sea and land trip, all while in an iron lung. Departing from San Francisco, three special cars attached to a transcontinental train transported Snight, his father, and 16 others in their party to Chicago for treatment at Billings Hospital, 950 East 59th Street, which is now part of the University of Chicago Medical Center, for treatment. 
Snyde had contracted polio 15 months before in China. Fortunately, the hospital in China to which he was taken had an iron lung, and his father was super wealthy. The summer of 1937 was particularly rough with the spread of infantile paralysis. In August 1937 alone, there were 199 cases reported. For comparison, Cleveland had 31 cases reported that August. Health authorities there had not decided whether to delay their school openings. The reopening of schools in smaller cities like Omaha, Nebraska and Council Bluffs, Iowa were postponed. Since May 1st of that year, Omaha had 78 cases and 17 deaths. The decision was made that in order to keep Chicago school students safe and keep them from falling behind, they would stay home and learn using the radio. The Board of Education devised an emergency program of learning in which lessons would be directed at 3rd through 8th graders and would cover math, English, science, and social studies. Seven Chicago radio stations donated airtime for broadcasts, and five of the six local daily papers donated space with the times and classes that would be broadcast. This, by the way, was not an entirely new idea. In 1932, facing a significant budget crisis involving unpaid teachers, an advertising executive floated the idea of kids learning school lessons at home over the radio. Before that, during the 1924-1925 school year, Chicago Radio offered educational programming on the radio with an in-school program broadcast over WLS. Dr. Ben H. Darrow hosted The Little Red Schoolhouse of the Air, heard twice a day, mornings and afternoons. After a rocky summer of polio infections, Chicago's president of the Board of Health, Dr. Herman Bundesen, announced September 2, 1937, that the infantile paralysis situation was, quote, well in hand, end quote, but that the edict postponing the reopening of schools, which was supposed to be September 7th, would stand. This decision affected approximately 315,000 public school kids and 153,000 parochial school students. This would be reassessed based on the rate of the disease's decline. Although 80% of homes owned a radio in the late 30s, radio sales went up dramatically as parents needed a second one for themselves or for a child in a different grade than the one using the first radio. Radio repair businesses also saw an increase in customers. Children in homes without radios could go to a friend's house assuming that friend was healthy. Monitoring each broadcast were two principals who would then offer feedback to teachers on presentation, content, and general performance. When schools eventually reopened, students would submit their work and take tests to show how well they understood and absorbed the material. Sixteen teachers were on hand at the school district's central office to answer calls from parents, and after more than 1,000 calls came in that first day, Five more teachers were added to handle the calls. Classes were just 15 minutes long and were meant to be, quote, entertaining yet informative, end quote. According to Assistant Superintendent Minnie Fallon, letters written by parents about the radio lessons show, quote, 
parents have become interested and participate in the lessons given their children. The letters show the parents are listening to the radio, too, and many of them are, in a way, going to school, end quote. Fallon went on to say one father whose radio stopped working went to her office every day to copy the broadcast lessons. Quote, he reads them to his children and they discuss them together. And today he bought a new radio. What did kids think of these radio lessons? According to one newspaper article I found, an 11-year-old sixth grade girl succinctly said, it's fun. Jimmy Fox, 10, said, heck, What I'm afraid of is they're going to take this out of our Christmas and spring vacations. Gosh, remarked Dick Foranoff as he left a Sandlot football game to go listen to the radio for school. This is worse than having to practice the piano. In order to keep kids from getting squirrely during their time in front of the radio, the Board of Education even introduced a guest star. Carveth Wells, described in the September 16, 1937 article, was an explorer and globetrotter who appeared on WENR at 6.45 p.m. to talk to third and fourth graders about his experiences with elephants in India and Africa. On September 15th, newspapers around the country, including the Nashville Banner, carried the story that with only three new cases and one new death in the last 24 hours, Dr. Herman Bundesen, president of the Board of Health, said he believed, quote, the peak of the infantile paralysis outbreak had been reached, end quote. This was the lowest daily number since the beginning of the outbreak on August 1st. The total cases up to that date was 245 with 18 deaths. High school students were the first to go back to school on September 16th. One week later, on September 23rd, 1937, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, himself stricken with polio at age 39, announced the creation of the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis. This effort would later be renamed the March of Dimes and was integral in providing funding to support research to find a cure for polio, a cure that was many years off. Also on September 23rd of that year, Dr. Herman Bundesen and a group of public and parochial school officials decided the situation regarding sending students back to school was still unsafe. Two days later, they reversed course, lifting the ban on classes for elementary school children, except approximately 63,000 kindergartners and first graders, as long as, quote, no unusual rise in the number of infantile paralysis cases occurs within the next 24 hours. That Monday, September 27, 1937, after nearly three weeks of remote learning by radio, Upper grammar school grades returned to school. Quote, For the last 42 hours, six verified cases of infantile paralysis have been reported, said Dr. Bundesen. This is the lowest number of any Saturday and Sunday in the last four weeks. There were 18 last weekend. End quote. Along with the downturn in case numbers, theater owners were informed older kids could once again be admitted but those seven years old and younger should still be refused. By the beginning of October, first-grade students were back in school as well. Reviews of the School by Radio program by the Radio Council were mixed. Some educators had a favorable view of the project, while others felt that students didn't seem to retain anything discussed over the radio. 
the use of radio instruction deepened many teachers, quote, feelings of insecurity and fear that radio, this new technology, might one of these days take away their jobs, end quote. Not all parents seemed pleased with this brief experiment designed to keep kids' minds stimulated. I found a note written at the Tribune printed on October 10th, 1937 by a Lewis Adams. In it, he writes of rushing home from work to help his kid get his over-the-air lessons done. But now that kids are back in school, the teacher has not asked for any of their radio lessons. Quote, I think it is a shame. In some public schools in Chicago, education is a joke. End quote. In a sign that the radio as a learning tool experiment was deemed successful, at the end of October 1937, the superintendent of schools, William H. Johnson, told representatives of Chicago radio stations that within two weeks, a radio council of the Board of Education would supply Chicago pupils with lists of approved radio programs having educational value. There were numerous attempts to find a prevention for infantile paralysis slash polio, including a nasal spray administered with a dropper tested with some success in October of 1937, but polio continued to sporadically rear its ugly head for years to come. In 1945, the Des Plaines River was even closed to swimming by the Cook County Department of Public Health due to fears of the spread of polio. On September 13, 1952, the Chicago Tribune reported more than 700 people had contracted polio already that year, making it officially at epidemic stage. They also published a list written by a doctor of rules to avoid polio. Number one, keep your hands clean, especially before eating. Two, do not use towels or washcloths of others or dirty glasses dishes, or table implements. Number three, avoid exposure and stay out of crowds during an epidemic. Parents should never expose youngsters to strangers, especially strange children. I love that. Stay away from congested beaches and swimming pools if for no other reason than to miss the crowds. One of the other helpful suggestions was to cover your mouth and nose when sneezing and coughing. In 1952 alone, nearly 58,000 people nationwide were infected with the polio virus. Thousands were left paralyzed and more than 3,000 died. Of the 1,203 cases reported in Chicago that year, 82 of those sickened died. Although newspapers reported rich kids as well as poor were left paralyzed, which to be fair was true, much like in the current pandemic, there were areas of Chicago that were harder hit. Sad fact, from 1950 to 1955, there were an average of 25,000 cases per year of polio in the United States. Well, 
While many scientists working to find a cure used a live version of the virus, one scientist named Jonas Salk, along with Dr. Thomas Francis of the University of Michigan, focused their efforts on a killed virus vaccine. Saul conducted limited trials in 1952 and 1953. In 1954, the March of Dimes pushed for a large-scale field trial unheard of at the time. More than one million people participated with 440,000 inoculated with Salk's vaccine and the others with a placebo. 8,000 children in Illinois' DuPage County were given the vaccine at their schools. Their teachers called them polio pioneers. After a year of study and observation, a medical press conference was called to announce the results of the vaccine trial. It was reported families gathered around the radio to listen to the conference as though they were listening to the World Series. Crowds stopped on sidewalks to watch TVs in department store windows. On the 10th anniversary of President Roosevelt's death, April 12, 1955, Thomas Francis announced that Salk's vaccine was 80 to 90 percent effective. The head of the American Medical Association called it, quote, one of the greatest events in the history of medicine. The U.S. began widespread vaccinations in 1955. Sadly, this did not immediately stop the polio virus in Chicago. In 1956, Chicago suffered another outbreak, one that lasted 16 weeks, in which, according to the Journal of the American Medical Association, 1,111 cases of poliomyelitis, including 36 deaths, were reported in the city. Many of those stricken had not received the vaccine at all, or only received one or two of the recommended three shots. There were two initial shots and a booster shot seven months later. Especially hard hit was Chicago's West Side, primarily among black and Puerto Rican residents. With 12% of the city's population, the West Side produced half of those affected by polio in the city. Many West Side families were unaware of the vaccine, so the city started an aggressive awareness campaign which included free shots. At the height of that outbreak, 40,000 shots were being administered to kids per day. By the early 1960s, incidents of polio were down by 90% nationwide. By 1979, the polio virus had been almost entirely eradicated across the country. Vaccines, folks. Jonas Salk died in 1995, according to his obituary in the New York Times. An opinion poll ranked him roughly between Winston Churchill and Mahatma Gandhi as a revered figure of modern history. Salk even appeared in an illustration on the cover of Time magazine's 100 Greatest Minds of the 20th Century issue, alongside Albert Einstein and Sigmund Freud. The March of Dimes continues their 80-plus year mission to safeguard the health of babies and mothers. In 2017, the March of Dimes convened the Prematurity Campaign Collaborative to address the persistent health inequities and rising rate of preterm birth in the United States. You can read more about that at marchofdimes.org.
Thank you for listening to today's episode about School by Radio, the 1937 polio outbreak in Chicago. If you've enjoyed this episode or previous ones, I'd sure appreciate you leaving me a written review. Feel free to reach out if you have questions about anything covered today, anything to add, or have a different topic you think might be a good fit for a future episode of the Chicago History Podcast. My email is chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. I will have plenty of pictures and news clippings related to the story on Instagram and on Facebook. Give us a follow and check it out. The Chicago History Podcast logo and the art used on the social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Thanks, Johnny. You can be found at JKS on Instagram or via email at angeleyesartjks at gmail.com. Too busy to type an email? Go to chicagohistorypod.com and in the lower right corner, click on the microphone icon. With that, you can leave me a voice message. Get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.